Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Luke 10, 1 through 20. That can be found on page 917 in your pew Bibles. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking, such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, Eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day of Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works of which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hey, good morning. It is good to see you guys. Glad that we could all be here to worship the Lord today. Thank you to our guests who are here. And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to be your church family. We thank you again for being with us. As we begin, I don't have really a a picture on the screen for it, but I do feel like I need to say something uh, as we acknowledge the fact that Josh and Whitney Gravel are back with us. We did have a prayer last week for their safety uh, as they were in Haiti. It's a little bit bittersweet to see them back, but I appreciate Josh uh, leading the singing here today. Uh, It's bittersweet because they were there doing mission work uh, there with Sunlight Children's Home. And as you've probably heard about the tragedy that came out last week about Roberta Edwards, the missionary there who was tragically murdered. 
we are sad for the things, obviously, that have taken place there and, and transpired. Uh, we're glad that all the mission teams have come back to the state safely. Uh, as Josh put it on Wednesday night, I ran into him in the hallway, and he said, you know, I just, I, I feel, I feel kind of bad being home. He said, we, we had a mission to do, and, and the mission was cut short. Uh, but he also pointed out something very important. He said, because of, because of the things that have happened, maybe the love of Christ will spread even more uh, in places that it wouldn't have spread with us being there this past week. I thought that was a great perspective. We are grateful for them being home. We do continue to pray for the children's home there, for those who are impacted by the ministry, and also for Jojo, the four-year-old boy uh, who is still missing, who's been kidnapped. Uh, just a tragic, tragic thing. We are excited, though, about next Sunday. We are the Sermon Day. It's a day where we try, as I guess the tagline goes around here, the church has left the building. We try to encourage everybody who's, who wants to be a part of this family uh, to get out in the community and serve because, as David likes to say, the guy who preaches here most of the time, uh, who started a meeting today, by the way, in Ohio, uh, David likes to say that the church ought to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. And people can't visit a church that they don't know, know exists. So we try to get out in the community and uh, may have a life that's like that, but definitely uh, want to be like that as a church. And so next week is a time where we try to get out and do things in the community uh, to serve our neighbor, to let them know that we care about them, and uh, to try to do our very best to, to make sure God is glorified and his love is shown. Uh, we hope this morning, especially those here at the 8 o'clock service, as you go into Bible class, that you, you'll finalize those plans uh, for your classes to get those projects together. If you need help uh, getting connected to a, a project, please let us know. We'll point you in a, in a way that you can serve. If you can't hear it, it doesn't matter. People cannot obey the gospel if they never hear it. They cannot visit a church they don't know exists. They cannot follow a Lord that they never hear about. As Paul wrote in Romans 10, 14 and 15, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you can't hear it, it doesn't matter. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. That's where we'll be this morning. We're going to study a passage that I think is a very cool passage from the Word of God. It reminds me... Reminds me of a, of a picture of a locker room. I don't know if you're big into college football, but I, maybe you watched some yesterday. But I think about a locker room scene where a coach there is huddled with his team and he's going to give them some important instructions before they go out there and take the field. Kind of that last minute pep talk before they get sent onto the field. And so Luke 10 is like that. I think you'll see very quickly that there's a lot of parallels 
here in Luke 10 and the ministry that they were involved in and also to the ministry that we're trying to carry out. A ministry would be a service. You know that, right? A minister is a word that, that means to serve or it means servant. And so how do we, his ministers, his servants, carry out his ministry or his service? What message did Jesus want to send to his team? Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. And we'll notice some things about this that are just so, so applicable. After this, the Lord appointed 72, or maybe your translation says 70, a little bit of um, between scholars. Some people don't know if it was 70 or 72. Uh, But he appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So if you can picture the scene, if you can just picture this in your mind, and again, depending on your translation, 70 or 72 people that Jesus himself selected to become part of an exciting ministry. And I guess, you know, the dolphins are in town, the Titans are playing the dolphins. I guess we could call them the 72 dolphins. <laughs> it's a team that they went undefeated, all right? So here they are, the, the teams met, met together and they're partnered up two by two. And a lot of you guys have gone door knocking, so you know how important it is to have a partner uh, when you're doing that. And and so they're sent out into all these places that Jesus is about to go. And they're supposed to prepare people for the Christ. They're they're kind of the warm-up band, so to speak. They have the the ministry of John the Baptist and and to prepare the way of the Lord. It's very similar to that. In verse 1, we also see that they were appointed. You see that word appointed for this ministry. That's a unique word that means chosen. And by the way, we've been chosen, haven't we? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 where it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How cool is this? We are a chosen people, chosen to proclaim. If you can't hear it, it doesn't matter. We're called to tell of the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness. There was a dark time in my life, but then I started following the Lord, and now I'm walking in the light. That's evangelism. We're chosen to proclaim. That's what we've been appointed to do. But also notice that word sent. We too have been sent, just like they were sent. Uh, we've been chosen and, and sent just like them. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've been appointed. We've been sent But also notice that we too have been sent ahead of Christ. Christ is coming. One day he'll come back and he'll he'll come back to Mount Juliet, Tennessee. He'll come back to the the earth. He'll come back to this place and and everyone who's here will have the chance. They won't have a chance anymore. He'll be back to judge. And so we've been given the gospel to proclaim the way for his coming because he is coming. And so here we go. The 72 dolphins are are huddled together. What's the coach going to say to them? Verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Point number one from Jesus' pep talk, he says, there's a lot of work to do. The first words out of his mouth describe the the magnitude of the ministry, the magnitude of the work that there is. He says the harvest is plentiful. Do you ever go to to a football game or a baseball game or ever go just drive down the street and and just see all the people? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by by the magnitude of the ministry and think all these people need the Lord? It's overwhelming. 
Jesus begins his message to the team of the 72 by saying, listen, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of work to do it. And the next thing he says is, there's not a whole lot of people working. That's the second part of the verse. There's not a lot of workers. The workers are few. Jesus doesn't try to paint a picture of, of a false reality where he says, well, the harvest is few, but there's, there's plenty of workers, so we got it covered. He says very plainly, you guys are outnumbered. And by the way, when we start to think that the sky is falling because we don't have the numbers, so to speak, because we feel outnumbered, and Christianity is maybe a lot outnumbered right now, don't think the sky is falling because 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke these words and they still ring true today. We're outnumbered, but so what? Our strength doesn't come from numbers. Our strength comes from the Lord of the harvest. And that's the next part of his message to the team. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, ask God to send workers. Ask God to send workers. Um, a lot of you guys are on Facebook. Have you seen the, the Facebook group Hip Mount Juliet? It's, uh, it's kind of this community message board where you can pretty much say anything you want <laughs> and uh, about anything you want, which can be dangerous, uh, but social media can be dangerous, I guess. Uh, so anyway, but a lot of people will use it to promote their business or to try to solicit more business. Or maybe if you need help finding someone who can do something for you, you post something, hey, I need some help. And so I want you to imagine that uh, you need some carpentry work done at your house. And you post something on the group and you say, hey, I need some shelves built in my garage. If you can help me out, please let me know. And so you kind of let that play out for a couple of minutes. And a, a couple of guys respond. And, uh, and so you, you set up a time for them to come over. And the first guy comes over and, and uh, he, he looks the part. He drives up and he's, he's got this old beat up looking pickup truck. So you're like, this, this guy has built stuff. Look at his truck. <laughs> and you notice there's like a ladder in there. Okay, that looks good. He gets out and he's got on some overalls. Okay, this, this guy is really checking out. He's got the measuring tape. He's got the tool belt, you know. And he's even got the pencil behind his ear. So you know, he knows he's legit. And so he walks over and, and you introduce yourself. And he says, hey, my name's Luke. I'm a male model. Can you take a picture of me holding this hammer? You say, uh, yeah. He says, yeah, I want to get some great shots. And, hey, um, stand over here. I want to take a selfie. And, and so, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand why this guy, he says, yeah, I just want to get some great action shots uh, for my Instagram. So come, come on in for a picture. You politely ask him to leave because he's not building anything. The next guy comes over and his name's Jim and, and you talk for a minute and he seems like a really nice guy and, and Jim starts telling you about all the work that he's done, about all these great projects he's been a part of and all these people that he's met and like, even famous people that he's met and he's, he's just talking a lot about his work and, and it's very clear that this guy seems to know what he's talking about but then it dawns on you he's been talking about it for about an hour. He hasn't even picked up a hammer. Hasn't even picked up measuring tape. He hasn't done anything. All he's done is talked. Listen, there's a lot of people out there that look the part. There's a lot of people out there that are good talkers. But notice the word Jesus uses to describe those who were in the field. He called them laborers. He said, pray for the Lord to send workers. We don't need more bodies sitting inside of a church building. We don't need posers. We don't need talkers. 
We don't need people who make excuses. We don't need pretenders. Jesus says we need workers doing God's work, laborers in the kingdom. Is that how the Lord would describe you? Would he look at us and would he say, that's a worker? Or would he say, that's a, that's a spectator? That's an observer? That's somebody who likes to make excuses? Somebody who likes to talk about working, but they don't work? Jesus says, ask God to send workers. I don't, I don't think I pray that prayer like I should. But I'm going to start praying it more often. Verse 3, he says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The next thing Jesus tells them that we need to hear too is to be prepared to be attacked. CenturyLink Field in Seattle is home of the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, it's one of, of the toughest environments for for anybody in the NFL to play. I don't know if you know about this, but a few years ago uh, in, in 2011, Marshawn Lynch, the guy that they, they dump Skittles on him when he scores a touchdown, uh, he, ran, he broke off a 67-yard touchdown run. Uh, it was in a playoff game. And uh, there was so much noise and there was so much cheering and there was such a high level of excitement that a nearby seismic center, uh, it registered a minor earthquake. Wow. So that's commonly known as the, the toughest environment to play in in the NFL. The visiting team, if you can imagine what it would be like to, to play on that field, the visiting team has to be prepared for that environment. They have to expect adversity. They have to be mentally prepared when they step into that field or they're in for a, a rude awakening. Jesus tells the 72, hey, I'm sending you into a hostile environment. I'm sending you into a place where there's wolves and the wolves are going to try to eat you alive. When you get attacked at work or at school for what you believe, remember, you're not on the home team. Remember, we're, we constantly read of Jesus saying things that do not be surprised when people hate you. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. Blessed are you when people speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus knew, and just like we know, adversity is easier to deal with when you know it's coming. The fifth message that he, he sends to his team is that they need to depend on God. Look at verse four. It says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Jesus doesn't want his mission team to get sidetracked from their mission. Leave the distractions at home. You, you've got an important mission to carry out. He says, carry no money bag. Money can be a distraction, can it? Jesus didn't want his team to be worried about money. God would take care of their needs. He says, carry no knapsack. And I think about mission trips that I've led. And if you've ever been in charge of a mission trip or a trip uh, that the church might take, you understand how much of a, a concern that lodging is. Uh, where people won't even sign up for anything if they don't know where, they're, uh, where we're going to stay. By the way, God would take care of that need too. The 72 would be staying inside the homes of people of peace. He says, carry no sandals, greet no one on the road. And that sound, sounds kind of extreme, uh, but again, this was a, a specific message. Time was of the essence. There wasn't a lot of room for small talk to get distracted. Before we move on, I think it's, it's worth considering how, how verse 4 might read today if Jesus sent out 72 more people on this mission. What would he tell us to leave at home? You know those permission slips we... We send out before every retreat. We got a retreat coming up, and I think about how it's like no firearms, no fireworks, 
no fire starters, no nunchucks, no ninja star. You try to cover all the, ba- anything that a kid might bring. <laughs> Do not bring this stuff, firearms, um, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so if Jesus was to send a slip like that home with us, or if he was to, to tell us, hey, leave this at home, what might he tell us to leave? Your computer? Your phone? Your stuff? Your possessions? Your tendency to complain? Listen, I'll be the first to admit that there have been plenty of times where I've been a distracted worker. That's not who I want to be. That's something I pray about. The sixth message that Jesus sends to his team in that pregame huddle that he might say to us is to go in peace. Go in peace. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. We mentioned it earlier, but the 72 did some door knocking. Uh, Jesus had them go from house to house, and that was a big part of their campaign. Look at uh, verse 5 again. What was, what was the first thing they were supposed to say when they entered a house? Peace. Peace be to this house. We come in peace. First impressions are important, aren't they? We prepare for an interview, we, we get our resume and we clean it up and we try to make sure there's no typos and we make sure everything checks out exactly like it's supposed to. And, and maybe when you sit down for that interview, you, you want to look your best, you want to look professional and so you, you clean up nice and you put a suit or a tie on or I, I guess if you're a woman you don't wear a, a suit necessarily, but maybe you could or a tie. But uh, anyway, so you clean up real nice and why? First impressions, they're important. Christians, when it comes to first impressions, what do you want to be known for? If someone befriends you on Facebook, by the way, talk about first impressions, what message are you sending? By the photos that you share, what message are you sending? By the articles that you share, what message are you sending? Are you known as someone who loves strife or loves to argue? Do you give off the impression that you're someone who loves to complain? My baby hates me. My ex is a jerk. Worst day ever. I hate my life. My teenager's the worst. My job, my school, my boss, my car, my life. Listen, I know we, have, we all have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I get that. But God tells us, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you have Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you have, I'll tell you what you have. You have an opportunity to share things that shine. To share things that shine like a light in this dark world. First impressions are important. When you have a family member or a close friend to come out as gay, what's your first response going to be? 
Mount Juliet Church of Christ, when we have a guest that comes into our midst for the first time, what's the first impression that we give off? What do we want people to know about us first? When a guest comes in, what's their first impression? Are we too busy to speak to them? When someone comes into this building and for the first time in a long time, they're desperate for a connection and maybe they're looking for God in a way that they've never looked for him before, do we take the time to show him, show them his love? What's the first thing we want the community to know about this church? What's the first thing we want the gay community to know about this church? Is it a message of hatred and condemnation that we're known for? I hope not. If it is, we've got it wrong. Because our message is not a message of condemnation. It's called the good news. A message of salvation. The gospel. Jesus gave people the impression that he was a friend of sinners. That was the first impression. He was a friend of sinners and... Wow, how'd he do that? Listen, I'm not going to take that beautiful description of Christ and twist it into something that it was not. It doesn't mean that Jesus went to all the parties and got plastered and approved of everybody doing everything wrong, living the way that they lived. That's not our Lord. He did not approve of people living in a way that was opposite of God's will. That was not who he was. He never approved of sin. But you know what he did? He loved people. And if we want to be known like Christ, we better be known for loving people. You know, the bad news about first impressions is, is also the good news about first impressions. We're the ones that get to decide what it's going to be. I'm thankful that Christ was a friend of sinners because it means he would have been friends with me. How do we become a church that's known as a friend of sinners. We love people. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus wanted the 72 to make an impression, a first impression of peace. It makes total sense if you think about it. Christ, the Prince of Peace, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of peace and we are supposed to be people of peace, peacemakers. The seventh message from the huddle he says, you will be given power. Look at the next three words that come out of Jesus' mouth. Heal the sick. Man, wouldn't that have like fired you up? Like, wait a minute, I, I can heal people? I'm going to be given like power? Or I can do stuff like heal people? And uh, it gets better. In verse 17, when, when they come back, they, they come and they report to Jesus and they're fired up and they say, Lord, we, we knew we were going to be able to, to like heal sickness, but you didn't say anything about casting out demons. Brothers and sisters, we have been given more power than any of us even realize. God's given us his spirit, and while we may not be able to, to put our hands on people and, and heal their sickness, we've been given a, a message of healing, a powerful message for the sin sick. The eighth message that Jesus delivers to his team is to preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I wish we had more time to talk about the kingdom. 
because it's one of Jesus' favorite things to talk about. Maybe the next time I preach, uh, not tonight, we'll talk about mercy, which I think ties in some, especially to the things that, that we've been thinking about this week as, as others have seen uh, the hurt in Haiti. What's our response need to be towards uh, people that, that are evil, wicked? I wish we had more time to talk about the kingdom. We'll probably dive into that another time. But they break the huddle, and in verses 16 and 17, some time elapses. We don't know how much time, uh, but we know that it's enough time to where they're able uh, to go out and come back and report about the things they've been doing, the ministry that they've been involved in. And so they come back to, to give their mission report. I don't know if it's on a Sunday night, but they come back to Jesus. And uh, verse 17, the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As we wrap up, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, let's never lose sight of the fact. Let's never lose sight of the fact that God's ministry, working for the Lord, ought to cause us to rejoice. Working for the Lord ought to bring us joy. Here's the 72, and, and they've just come back, and they're really excited, they're on fire. And, and maybe you think, if you've been thinking about that football analogy, you think about the team going back into the locker room after the game's over, and they've executed the plan perfectly, and the coach is really, really proud of his, of his guys because they, they've done exactly what he's asking them to do, and, and the coach is really proud of them. The whole team is celebrating there. Isn't it an awesome feeling? When the family of God can celebrate a victory together, a baptism, an answered prayer, a successful retreat or mission trip, when someone comes forward with a humble heart and, and they confess that they need help, when someone lives a faithful life and they, they pass away, they move and they take the reward, they're with the Lord. May we never lose sight of how beautiful it is to be a part of God's ministry. The second reminder that I want to give as we wrap up comes from Jesus in verse 20 where he reminds them it's not about what you've done. It's about what the Lord has done. In verse 17, that they come back again and they say, the demons, the, the demons are even subject to us. But in verse 20, you see Jesus give them a, a gentle reminder. He says, hey, let's not misplace our joy. It's not about the spirits being subject to you. It's not about getting your name in the paper. It's about what God has done. Rejoice in the fact that the Lord has written your name in heaven. Let's rejoice about the right things. We've got to remind ourselves that our victories are not our victories. The battle belongs to the Lord. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 21, 31, where it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. As we serve him, may we return to him with joy as the 72 did, thanking him in our prayers, praising him in our worship. I want to close with this clip, and uh, then I'll say something. I suppose it would have been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, I'll do it. All right.
you've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. And just like that, George Bailey got his wish. He got a unique opportunity to see what it would have been like if he never existed. The people in his life didn't know who he was. The memories that he had were only his memories. All the relationships, all the people that he loved, they were gone. Nobody knew who he was. Needless to say, George, since he wasn't there to save it, the old Bailey Brothers Building and Loan Association went under during the Depression. Violet, the woman that George had, had helped out in her time of need, he wasn't there to help her. Mr. Gower, the druggist, accidentally poisoned that prescription that George wasn't there to, to catch the mistake of. Harry Bailey, the, the decorated war hero of Bedford Falls, didn't have George there to save him on that day when he fell into the pond uh, when he was just a child. Shoot, without, without George's influence, remember, Bedford Falls wasn't even Bedford Falls, right? It was renamed Potterville, named after the scurvy spider, right, Mr. Potter? Then there was Mary. Seeing Mary was the straw that, that broke the camel's back, and George had to beg Clarence for the chance to see her, and it, she was the only one he ever wanted. Remember, he was the, she was the one that he would lasso the moon for, and Mary never fell in love. She never married. She never had kids. Didn't have any family. She's all alone. George can't take it anymore. He's seen enough. He realizes the foolishness of his wish. And he, he goes back to that bridge, the same bridge that just a few minutes earlier he was ready to, to jump off of. And he prays a prayer. And he begs God for his life back. What George came to realize is that people in his world needed him. And brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, what an important thing for us all to be reminded of. The people in your world need you. The things that you are doing right now will echo into eternity. And so will the things that you're not doing. You matter. Your ministry matters. Your influence matters. But if they can't hear it, it doesn't matter. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest, we beg you earnestly to send out laborers into your harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you want to be more involved in the Lord's work, we have an opportunity. If you've been distracted, you want to start your life with Christ, or if you want to come and confess sin, confess the fact that you need prayers, we want to give you whatever you need, whatever we can do to help. If you would, please come as we stand.